Hello, I'm Emily Bellet, founder of Vespod and author of You're Not Broke, You're Pre-Rich, and you're listening to The Wallet. Every week, we give you the best tips, guidance, and a good dose of inspiration and motivation to manage your money better. Do you know about the pink tax and how it hinders women? Do you feel the pressure to have children but are unsure if you want to or feel worried about the impact it will have on your career? Have you ever wondered why women pay higher mortgage rates than men? It's an unfortunate reason that life as a woman is simply more expensive. We face economic disadvantages that impact how much money we can save and the wealth we try to build for the long term. On today's episode, I speak to Marisa Bate, a freelance journalist, author, commentator on feminist issues. Last year, Marisa, a passionate advocate for women's rights, spoke to us about recognizing economic abuse. Today, we address the topic of the myriad inequalities women face, why being a woman costs more, as well as some good things too, such as how women's economic rights have progressed. Want to give your money an opportunity to grow this year? Wealthify makes investing simple by choosing and managing your investments for you. And if you open a Wealthify plan and invest at least £50 by 30th of June 2023, they'll give you an extra £50. Terms and conditions apply. New customers only. The offer is capped at the first 500 customers. Find out more and claim the offer at wealthify.com slash the wallet. With investing, your capital is at risk and you could get back less than you put in. Wealthify is regulated and authorized by the Financial Conduct Authority. Remember that we are not certified financial advisors. Information shared in this podcast is for educational purposes only and does not constitute financial advice. Today we're going to talk about the cost of being a woman in society. And I think it's, you know, these conversations that we, we've had like many times around, you know, having a baby, maybe around things that were more expensive for women, sanitary products, personal hygiene products. We are paying a lot more. <laughs> so can, can you can you talk a little bit about um, about that as, as an introduction? It's known as the pink tax, isn't it? But we are. And I think never have I felt more aware of that than when I was pregnant and just realizing how much how much stuff is targeted at women to to spend on themselves in a way that is not targeted at men you know <laughs> just relentless just absolutely relentless and it's it's obviously not new there's nothing new about it but uh we are we are and we we do pay more for some of the same items i mean we and i think you know, we pay this the tampon tax, but there's also just, you know, I know you've mentioned to me that a pair of Levi's, a pair of women's Levi's cost more than a pair of man's Levi's. Um, and yet we are paid less. <laughs> I mean, I'm <laughs> we laughing, but it's not funny. <laughs> we yeah. will have less savings. We have less opportunity to make as much money. Um, we are you know, excluded from the workforce more. So we have less opportunity to, you know, there's endless gaps that you know all too well about, the pension gap, the pay gap. I mean, and, and yet things are more expensive. And so absolutely, like there is a tax on being a woman and there is a cost, a very real, a real, real kind of economic cost um, that we are expected to pay. And I mean, where does it come from? 
interestingly, you know, you can trace it to the expectations put on women to be accepted means that they need to pay more to be part of society. So when I was younger, I was really angry. I'm not less so now, but I was really angry that women felt that they would have to spend X amount a month on whatever, skincare, makeup, to leave the house, to be deemed presentable in a way that men just don't. And that's, you know, there are plenty of arguments for, you know, um, I don't, I believe that if you want to spend money on those things, you are entitled to. But what I don't, what I could never really stomach was that there was, it came down to me as a, as a level of acceptability in society. The women I knew felt they couldn't go to work without these things. And they had to pay a lot of money for these things. Um, and so we're literally buying our way, um, buying our acceptance in, into society. And you see it all the time with things like, um, there was a famous picture of like Ed Sheeran standing next to Beyonce. And he looks like some scruffy student and she looks like this absolute beauty like goddess and this kind of how we feel we have to present ourselves to the world and there is a very real price tag with that um so I think you know what we we essentially the tax is is I mean it sounds really dramatic but the tax essentially on our existence and our participation and then a lot of, you know, a lot, it's, it's a pressure, you know, there's a pressure to look a certain way. There's a pressure to keep your body a certain way. There's a pressure to be a certain type of woman, i.e., you know, should you be having children? Um, and all of these things end up costing women money. So, I mean, it's a, it's a huge one, but we, we will pay more and we will have less. Um, and I think, you know, what I find so enraging about it is that, um, it is so tied up in how society values us, you know, um, we literally have to buy our way in, in a way that men still don't. And also like, I think for black women, for example, you know, we're talking about, you know, maybe Afro tax or how much more money they pay for, you know, maybe hair care and stuff like that. So it's quite, you know, it's very like broad conversation and it's, it's, it's going to be different for, for every woman, but it's there and it literally costs us a, a, a lot more, a lot more money. And you talked about, um, child, you know, childcare, the pressure of, you know, having children. How does this translate economically for women? And I'm, I'm thinking, you know, fertility treatments, maybe cost of childcare, obviously. Um, and this, I mean, we're talking big money when we talk about that. Oh, both of those things. So absolutely. If there's a, you know, I think a lot of women still do feel the pressure to at least respond to the question, are you having kids? You know, whether, whether they choose to or not, there is this, ex there's still an expectation. And, um, You know, if you choose to, that, that pressure is, can be very loud, especially on social media. It can feel very real. And, you know, women are turning increasingly towards freezing their eggs. You know, that can be a round of egg freezing with storage 
typically some estimates is around £5,000. To really kind of um, increase your chances, you need people say at least two or three rounds. So, I mean, there's, there's, there's that end of a huge amount of money and presumably if you're freezing your eggs, you're doing that on your own. Yeah. Um, and you just, you know, and what you're starting to see is that society is putting this pressure on women that you only some women will be able to access the solutions, so-called solutions, to to getting the family that they perhaps want. Um, the flip side to that, as you say, is then childcare. I mean, I you know, women are choosing not to have children right now, or not choosing choosing not to have any more children, um, because we have some of the most child, uh, expensive childcare in the world in this country. Um, and we, that doesn't look set to change anytime soon. Um, and we don't even have great childcare. We have expensive childcare and typically not brilliant childcare. Um, and caring in, in all its forms from caring for elderly relatives, caring for your own children, professional caring is still seen in as a woman's domain it's a very feminized uh profession the majority of the workforce is women and because of that it's completely undervalued so we just have this absolute crisis where this thing that we would all sort of on paper say is absolutely essential who's looking after your children who's looking after your elderly mother who's looking after you know um someone in your family who's who's sick or unwell um, it's probably a woman, but we're not prepared to pay them. And so that those that has a kind of double, you know, another edge to it because, we, you know, we women can't afford to pay for childcare and a lot of women can't afford to work in childcare either. Yeah. You know, they, would, they will make more money if they go and work in um, a supermarket um, and have a lot less of a stressful job. So at every end of it, it feels like, you know, there's a problem. And I guess for the women in the middle who perhaps, you know, are paying for childcare and are working, you know, if you know any of those women, you know, they're just completely exhausted and stretched and, you know, completely, you don't know how they're managing to do it. And somehow they do. <laughs> and, it's a, and it's a bit of a miracle. So, um, and all of this conversation still seems to be one that women are expected to be having, to be figuring out, to be sorting out, you know, this, this, you like Pregnant and Screwed, which is a wonderful campaign group, you know, and, and places like the Women's uh, Budget Group talk about childcare as infrastructure. And I think the language we use is so important because, you know, if we see it in the terms of it actually is, it should be invested in. We, we, it, yeah, it should be an investment, yeah. Absolutely. And the, the money that could be raised by unlocking the, the workforce of potential women who are at home, who don't want to be at home. You know, this isn't about saying that every, you know, again, you know, I think women, if, if you want to stay at home, that's, it's all, it's the choice. It's about the choice. And at the moment, I think a lot of women feel that that choice has been robbed from them. 
Um, and increasingly, I mean, it was before COVID, but COVID uh, accelerated things and we're seeing massive problems with nursery shortages, nurseries closing in the middle of the week, leaving parents unable to get to work. And typically, who's getting the phone call? It's the mother. Who's expected in the relationship to call in sick? It's the mother. The mother was probably working on average less hours than her partner because he probably earns more because of the gender pay gap. And it's this, it's entrenched and it's at every stage. Um, and, you know, child, children really exasperate it um, because they sort of highlight exactly who earns what and um, and how those systems work. And even with effort, efforts to reverse those systems, so take parental, share parental leave, which was introduced quite a few years ago now, I think the take-up still something around 2%. And I don't, I don't believe that's because men are sort of reluctant to look after their newborn children. It's because households can't afford to do it. Um, and so even, this, even the kind of very small victories we've had on trying to readdress this, they're not working. And, and some, you know, I find, I find it really fascinating because, I mean, women have been kind of talking about this for decades. <laughs> you know? um, the women, the, the kind of women liber- libbers of the 70s were calling for universal childcare, you know, and creches. <laughs> Still not there. You're right. I mean, it's not nothing that anyone's asking for is new. It's just things have been compounded. So now we have problems with housing costs and housing crisis. And um, obviously now we've got the cost of living to contend with and what that will mean for rents and mortgages and all those other things. So if you were just about managing, if you're just about managing your childcare bill, you're just about saving up for freezing your eggs, if you're just about managing as a single woman, paying rent in London in a flat on your own, you haven't got any room. And now, you know, we're all being pushed further and further and further. And, you know, a lot of people off the back of two years of COVID are going are gonna to feel it. And, and as with COVID, there is a gendered response to these things because women are on the back foot to begin with if we're already paying more for whatever those products are and you know razors I think pink razors cost more than blue razors if we're already paying more we're on the back foot so I think something that's never happened with these with you know in at least in my understanding of the last 40 years is that We have a very gendered society with problems that are very, that manifest in a very gendered way, but we never have a gendered response. And it's, it, so it just, it, the problem's never addressed as it should be. Um, and that, that again, you know, again, these things are never kind of one note, but it, a lot of that is, do we have enough women in leadership roles to address these problems, you know? Um, so, yeah, it's, 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 a big, it's a big old, it's a big thing. And I think, you know, 
the th- the dangerous thing I think is is not being angry. You know that we're so used to it that everyone you know has a huge nursery bill or everyone you know, uh, you know, can't afford to buy, will never be able to afford to buy a house. Um, I mean, there was that incredible statistic at um, your festival last year, Money Matters, which Vicky Spratt, the journalist, the housing correspondent, mentioned about how there is nowhere in the UK that you can buy a house on a on the average woman's income in this country and you know this is I mean to me that says it all and so I think um what we what we're realizing is that not only are we on the back foot but perhaps we're even slipping further back um and then that's that's when the work you do becomes so important because uh, I guess it's about being smart with what we do have. And I feel we, you know, we are feeling like judged all the time around, you know, the, the choices we make, even if these choices should be, you know, a bit broader than just, you know, us as, as women. Um, and you talk a lot about single mothers also. Sure, because I think often the childcare crisis or is, is uh, or, or any... F- economic crisis is couched with like in terms of a family and actually uh there are lots of single people in this country of course and single parents I mean 90% of single parents are mothers um a lot of single parents are on universal credit um they are trapped in this kind of space of not being able to afford childcare, so therefore they can't work Um, and therefore they're reliant on benefits. Um, there's a lot of stigma still towards single parents. I mean, we saw in COVID, for example, I remember, I really remember all the big supermarkets saying, you can't bring your kids into the supermarket uh, at one point because the presumption was that there was someone else at home to look after them. And and it, it's just a blindness um, to the reality of 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 a lot of families so their single parents are penalized uh again kind of off off the back and expected to be superhuman really expected to do what we what a lot of couples can't do but on their own um and especially i think in this country there's a kind of classist snobbery Mm -hmm. uh there's still a kind of stigma um towards single mothers um the law still believes that the presence of a father is better than no presence even if that father is uh violent uh so abusive abusive yeah you know we the, the the children's act sort of really underlines the fact that a child needs both parents even though in this country children have died because have been murdered by their fathers who were granted access who should never have been granted access um so I think and I think single parents are really overlooked um they're just not seen they're often the last people mentioned in a conversation um and they're superhuman you know um I I'm biased my mum was a single parent but 
to do to do all of those things day in day out with all of the not just the practical logistical getting up getting your kids to school working full time coming home making sure they've done their homework cleaning the house getting the shopping in not just doing all of that but the emotional weight of being it's all on you you know it's it's always your turn to sort everything and so i think yeah absolutely and 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 if you talk about single mothers you you obviously you get a bit of a backlash about single dads of which of course there are many brilliant single dads but we do have a culture where most single parents are women and again it's a gendered thing you know why why are 90% of single parents women why yeah. is you know i mean that's a huge huge statistic and that resp- that sense of responsibility or that we expect women to women don't feel in the same way that they can just up and leave in the way that obviously lots of fathers do so yes i think um i'm i'm really glad that you brought single parents up but i think you know there again this you know um the impact of the cost of living crisis on single parents will have been absolutely huge and we don't offer them enough support i think in terms of kind of government financial support but also as a society we don't sort of we don't talk about them enough um and we certainly don't sort of celebrate them you know often single parents are sort of right understandably seen through this very sort of like oh bloody hell that <laughs> must be really hard the drudgery of it there's a lot of joy to single parents too you know and i think recognizing recognizing that it's not a it's not some terrible affliction <laughs> you know that actually it's not and we have many in the best fat community yeah. and we've had this you know it's hard but brilliant conversations yeah and i think i think i've always felt that i've had this really incredible relationship with my mum which i never would have had if if things had been different so it's um yeah i kind of i kind of wanted i want the world to wake up and realize how hard it is but i also want the world <laughs> you know it's it's not a sub story um but i do think again it's another gendered problem that we don't provide a gendered response to you know why why what's happening why is this the case why why do more women feel that they will be the full-time carer of the child than the yeah than the father you know um And we just don't, we've never had a government that sort of sits, that sort of said, okay, how do we see these problems? All of these problems, they're all interlinked. And they're all the same thing. It's all a question of value and worth. You know, it doesn't really matter which one of these things these we, we pick. It's all a question of um, our kind of economic and social standing. And there is a, there are tiers within the vast umbrella of being a woman of course as you mentioned this is m- all of these things are much harder at intersections and if you are a woman with disabilities if you are a woman of color if you are a woman living in poverty if you are um a young mother um you know these there are groups that will feel these things more acutely than other women absolutely and we have to respond to those intersections as well you know we 
women have always been just lumped as one big group because they're essentially not men. And that has to change. Um, but we're not even at the point where I think government... Well, we are the first layer. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> so we're not even addressing the, the tip of the iceberg. Um, but I think, you know, I think it... And, and, and what's so interesting, right, is that we pay... We pay this cost, as, as you've kind of called this this episode, this podcast, the kind of cost of being a woman. And yet, as you've seen firsthand, you know, we're not as, for lots of very deliberate reasons, we're not as even informed um, economically. We're not even, as, you know, we don't have the same knowledge often um, as men. And so we, we, we're slapped with this huge tax which is really just, a, to my mind, a manifestation of a discrimination like, for being a woman. And then we're purposely sort of kept in the dark about how we can deal with it and how we can be prepared for it and how we can be smart with our money. And we're told we're not, that money's not our thing. But it's such, a, it's such a big, like, you know, personal responsibility. I think we're asking too much, um, you know, to to women like you know you have to you have to work more you have to earn more you have to save for your pension you have to start investing how do you even start these things in in the first place even if you know you you have the knowledge you educate yourself and i've seen women being so diligent and and really you know trying to to learn but it's it's the financial capabilities where you know it's it's really a struggle and if you think longer term when we're going to live also longer than men we have to think about the long term and, and going back to you talked about the the gender pay gap the gender pay gap is going to have a lot of um, other issues rather than you know not only our savings but maybe um, having a lower credit score because maybe you're struggling with your repayments and that's going to have an impact on how much money you can borrow the the, the interest rates you, you can get um the loan rejections, you know, often linked to lower credit scores. So it's like, it's such a big, um, it has such a big imp impact and, and we could solve this by, yeah, giving more money to women much earlier on. And as you say, having childcare is such a big thing, like the infrastructure around childcare. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's one way where you, you give more Flexible women, work. Flexible yeah. work. They earn more money. They're in the workplace working longer hours. Um, absolutely. Yeah. I think, you know, I think, I, and I don't think it's an accident, you know, I don't think it's an accident that so many smart women don't know about so many of the things you've just said. Yeah. You know, I think there's been a deliberate, historically at least, you know, women have been told this is not their forte, this is not their landscape, because money is power. <laughs> um, and that's not something that we've been granted or, you know, And so, from you know, from you grow up thinking, I don't know, you know, I remember, I remember not knowing what a mortgage was, and then yeah. being like, how did I not know what a mortgage is? Yeah. <laughs> or an ISA, or even a pension. Yeah. I mean, right? Yeah. And um, and so the difference between me and my partner and his knowledge, um, and it's frightening. It's really frightening. Um, so I think, yes, I think part of um, you know, and again, it as you say, it becomes this huge, we're all trying to do so much anyway, right? You're all, every, we're, every woman I know feels under pressure all the time in some way. 
And then suddenly you're like, right, now I need to know about this. And now I need to get my money in order. And now I need to sort this. And now I need to do this. And, do... and um, really, I guess these conversations have to start way, 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 way earlier. Where financial literacy and financial confidence is something that is built into us at a much younger age. Um, and it's something we feel that we are, we are permitted to, to, have in that, to be in that space. Um, you know, again, it's like we're, we're told so clearly what our spaces are. Our spaces are childcare. Our spaces are looking a certain way. Our spaces are, you know, being domesticated. Our spaces are, you know, we know, we all know somehow where we're meant to be and we know where we're not meant to be. And I think even, even today, um, we still have that sense, even though we know that women are represented in these certain sectors and there are organisations like Vespod and there's all these exceptions to the rules. But I think if you ask women that kind of intangible thing about how, where do we, where do we belong and where do we feel and like what, where does society tell us we belong? We still, we're still in those spaces, you know, and I, and breaking out of them is, is hard. It's hard. But it's having, I think it's having these conversations again and again and understanding you're, you're not on your own and you, you can start, you know, making changes for yourself and for those around you on a micro, micro level, because I think this will really compound over time. Um, but it's, yeah, taking like these this small actions. But if, if we want to end up on a slightly more positive note with, you know, all these like, you know, systemic um, issues Can you highlight maybe some of the progress that, you know, that has been made over the years when it comes to, to yeah. women and money? And I think it's really important, right? Like, you know, I believe in being angry because I think anger <laughs> That's how you move forward. it. <laughs> yeah. You know, I think it's really important. But I, but, you know, I also think hope is really important to push us forward. And, and you get hope from seeing that things have changed. So, you know, like one of my good friends, mum, you know, couldn't go to art school because her dad basically wouldn't let her and that was just a normal thing and you know it wasn't until the 70s that women could have their own bank accounts without having to get a man yeah that's crazy to, to basically sign off and say yes <laughs> she's capable um <laughs> representation you know we look at our parents generation the number of women in across all sectors has increased. Um, the fact that we're having this conversation, the fact that Vespod exists, um, you know, I think looking back is a really useful thing to do in moments of frustration, because if you just go back sort of 30, 40 years, things were very different. You know, if you talk to your mums or your aunts, and especially your grandmothers, you the world was really different not that long ago in terms of what was expected of women, you know, what what society, how society spoke about women. I mean, and I think I see these shifts happening, especially with this um, generation. I think it's the internet speeding things up really quickly in terms of what's acceptable, what isn't, the language we use, Um inclusivity you know so I think there is I think you know often I feel better just by 
having a chat with my mum about what some of her experiences in the workplace, you know, when she was my age and some of the things that men have said to her. Whereas now you know that somebody could lose their job for that. Um, Things like Me Too are often ridiculed, but actually that's been a major shift in what women will tolerate, you know, what we, you know, and what men have now been told loudly and clearly what can and can't go on in a workplace. Um, We see these kind of wonderful, I mean, obviously she's an exception, but even I look at someone like Oprah, you know, a black woman from Chicago, um, become, I think, one of the first black billionaires in the world. And there were just so many more role models for so many more women than there was 20 years ago. Um, and I so I think, you know, it is, it is out there. I think young, you know, I look at some of these young people organising um, here and especially in the States, just incredible. So there is lots to be positive about. We have come <laughs> a long way. Um, you know, we are way more in control of our finances than our mothers ever were. Um, but, you know, we, when my mother was a boomer, so we are actually in a harder position, um, economically, you know, um, she will have a great pension. She has a house, all those things, um, that, you know, uh, I don't have, but so that it's not, it's, you know, progress is never a straightforward line. It's never this neat linear thing. But I think in terms of, um, you know, demanding, I, th- I just feel, you, you, history is waves, right? Because the 60s and 70s demanded so much and then the 80s was a slightly, slightly regressive period. And I think I take a lot, you know, there's so many bad things about social media, especially at the moment with Twitter and a man who who won't be mentioned. So there's so many terrible things, but actually the in some of the work I do and some of the reporting I do, which is about talking to to different feminists and different groups, there is amazing work going on out there. And I think, you know, it's very easy to read negative headline, negative headline, and look around and think about the childcare crisis and all those things. But we can find hope in actually being like productive. So I think that's the other thing is that if you are really pissed off, the best thing you can do is to try and do something. Thank you so much, Marisa. Oh, no, thank you. Thank you for listening to the episode of The Wallet. Please share this show with your friends and subscribe on your favorite platform. You can also leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. It only takes a few seconds, but it helps more people find our show. Join us again next Thursday for another episode of The Wallet. I will answer many listeners' questions about money and relationships, family, couple, divorce, with the Dura Society founder, Lottie Leaf. <laughs>